You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. I'd like to begin this time together by calling in the ancestors. I'd like to call on those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to each one of us here today. I'd like to call on those whose shoulders we stand, those who blazed a path, those who went forward in a way that was unknown but was true to their own hearts. We call out to those who lived well and those who died well, and those who have left a great legacy for their descendants. We call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to gather around and continue to teach us, to help us to heal that which needs to be healed and go forward in new ways that preserve the essence and the heart and the meaning of the past, but to heal the wounds of the past and go forward in a way that allows innovation and creativity and the birth of new things, new ideas, and new ways for people to live here together on this planet with all living things. And we give thanks to the planet itself and we call out to the earth, the earth, this great being, this great dreamer. It is through her dreaming that life as we know it has brought to the face of this planet. And we give thanks to her for the wonder of that dream, for the miracle of life, and for this place in its infinite beauty that we call home. We call out to the earth to hear our gratitude for this day, for our lives, for this place of connection and interconnection, this place of belonging. And we stand firm here on the earth, each one of us in our own way, and reach up from our place here on earth up, up to the sky, reaching out to the highest power of the universe by whatever name we call that power. We call it down, bringing into our proceedings here today, into our lives, into our bodies, all the wisdom of the cosmos. May these teachings come to us. May this wisdom come to us. May the blessings and the generosity and the gratitude come to us. May the protection come to us. May we know the great gifts that are present here for us. And may we have the courage and the skill to unwrap them. To unwrap them and to use them in our life in ways that allow us to bring our own gifts forward. So with the earth rising up to meet our heart and the sky coming down, to meet our heart from above. May these energies merge in our hearts and our bellies and our bodies and become one, to become balanced, to help bring us into balance on this day as we call out for the energy of our own hearts to be with us here today, the heart that knows the passions of the belly and the wisdom of the mind and can merge them in a way that we can come to understand why we are here and that we can have the courage of heart to live in such a way that those gifts are brought to the world and brought now because the descendants are calling. So we give thanks to all of these energies for being with us here today. We give thanks to those who are donating to support this this show. We give thanks to John Harden and all the other listeners who have found the support button on the whyshamanismnow.com site. 
one of the very essence energies of shamanism is to allow ourselves to be moved in the heart, to feel, to be moved by life, by what we are doing in life, by what we experience in life, and to act on those movements. And so if you've been moved by this show in any way, I ask you to be moved into action. And it's easy. You can just click support and offer whatever um, amount of money, large or small, that you um, can offer. And that goes directly to keeping the show on the air and keeping it free to those who are not able at this time in their life to donate money, but are able to be inspired by the show and act in the world nonetheless. So without further ado, I would also like to give thanks to Tom Cowan, who is our guest here today. Welcome, Tom. Uh, It's good to be here. Tom, it's good to hear your voice. So for those of you who don't know, Tom is an elder here in the resurgence of shamanism in America, whether he likes to admit it or not. We all think he is. (laughs) 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 That he is um, a practitioner of Celtic visionary and healing techniques. He is an internationally respected author, lecturer, and... Uh, periodically, he leads tours to Ireland or Scotland uh, to uh, practice at sacred sites and to work with the spirits of the land there. Tom is a much-loved teacher in the States and abroad, um, and he is taught in England and Austria, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, and Slovakia, which is um, which you're one of the first American shamans to teach there. So that's very exciting. Um, Tom has numerous books, one of the favorites, I think it's sort of a classic, um, if we can call it that yet, is um, Shamanism as a Spiritual Practice for Daily Life. And all of this uh, information about Tom and his books and tours and classes and everything is at riverdrum.com. So www.riverdrum.com. So before we go any further, though, I do want to acknowledge the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. This is an SSP interview show. And um, on these shows, we explore how contemporary shamans are meeting the challenge of their world where the relations of things are profoundly out of balance. And it is the ancient role of the shaman in all cultures to tend the balance of things. And in these shows, we explore how these contemporary shamans are meeting this extraordinary need today. For those of you that don't know, um, the Society of uh, Shamanic Practitioners website is Shaman, Shaman Society. I always get this wrong on my when I try to find it. I have to type twice. ShamanSociety.org. And you can, since we are live, um, please feel free to call in with your questions for Tom at 512-772-1938. If you're listening through the co-creatornetwork.com site, you can Skype with a little Skype button. Or you can email me a question um, at christina at lastmasscenter.org. Whew, that was a mouthful. So, Tom, back to you. Um, (laughs) You've done so many things, it takes a while to get through it all. Um, We've talked on other shows about the pivotal things that just brought you to shamanism and brought you into a connection with your own ancestry and the practices of your people, which has brought you to teaching Celtic and European-based shamanism now for many years. Um, What I'm curious about today is what are the events or experiences or the things that have been kind of provoking you into the topics we're going to talk about in this particular show? Well, I think it's basically what's been happening over the last 10 years um, in terms of weather and natural disasters 
We've seen Hurricane Katrina, the tsunami in the Indian Ocean, the uh, earthquake in Haiti, the Gulf oil spill. I mean, those are serious disruptions of the natural cycles. But even on smaller scales, there's been tornadoes and floods and fires and whatnot. And I think it's that question that keeps coming up in my head is, uh, how do we deal with things that look chaotic, things that look disruptive? And uh, as we look in the natural world, we see it uh, seems like almost every week. But even in the political world, um, we've gotten involved in two wars in the last 10 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. We've seen terrorist threats occur at various places around the world. And uh, even in our own political system, I don't want to talk politics today, but it seems like our system has been gridlocked or stalemated for about 10 years now. Uh, extremely polarized. So, you know, as a shaman, I say, well, what kind of healing do these situations need, and what can I do, and and am, am I the one to do it, or who should be doing it? And oftentimes, it's discouraging in the sense that the the chaos is so large that it doesn't seem that any one person, one shaman, or even a, a group of shamans can do a whole lot, at least not along the, the usual lines of what we think is shamanic healing. But I think if we shift our thinking a little bit, as we've done over the last 10 years in the Society of Shamanic Practitioners, we've started to talk about shamanic tending. And tending might include healing, but it's a little bit broader than that. And it provides a way for us to move into situations that are chaotic and disruptive and find a role for ourselves as shamans. And uh, I'm, I'm summarizing, you know, the past 10 years in just a couple sentences here, but it didn't come this fast. We we talked, we uh, argued about things, we tested different things, uh, and we still don't have an answer. I don't want to give the impression that uh, we now have an answer to dealing with hurricanes and oil spills and <laughs> terrorism and war and political system. But yeah, I feel, sure. <laughs> we, we did one journey and we came up with right. an answer for all of it. Right, I know that it just doesn't work that way, but but I feel I've come to a, a more comfortable place in terms of understanding who I am and what I'm here to do. And it, I have to say, I don't see myself here as being a shaman who can heal these situations, but I do feel I can move into them and tend them. And I think uh, that that's what we were planning to talk about today, wasn't it? Yeah, and I was, you know, in the last couple shows, I've been talking about taking a teacher and how do you select a shamanic teacher and these ideas. And one of the things that I brought up, perhaps a little passionately on one of the shows, is, you know, how much how shamanism is presented in the U.S. at least has been market driven. Mm -hmm. And I think in in that. And 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 I don't mean that necessarily to imply that this is negative and bad. I mean, I think, for example, when, when Michael Harner brought out what Michael has brought out, that it was genius and it was perfect at the time. And at the time, only a man could have done it. At the time, only an academic could have done it. I mean, like mm -hmm. every step along the way has is, I believe, a step in moving us towards what we're talking about today. And so even having gone through hopefully a phase of fairly market-driven shamanism in America where, you know, the, the, the only what people will pay for is the only thing that's happening it, it, it versus realizing if that's all we're doing, we're, we're 
shaping ourselves into these little nutshells of this very limited idea, as you were saying, of just shamanic healing. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to actually stand here as people on one hand and just, you know, to be humane, but on other hand, with people with gifts, how do we start to respond to these larger issues, which I do actually believe indigenous shamans responded to similar things in their own time. Mm-hmm. But much of what we deal with today is, is, is on a scale that is perhaps unique to our time. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure about that. But anyway, you know, that, that we as the practitioners have to be willing to think about things and talk about things. And I think, as you've already mentioned, begin to work together with things if we're ever going to expand into what is the prayer humanity is praying that is calling all of these shamans into manifestation. It's mm-hmm. not a market-driven prayer. It's a, it's a um, uh, somewhat desperate, <laughs> you know, yeah. humanity-driven prayer of, of – of a, uh, a a relationship between the humans and life and the world teetering, teetering out of balance. Right yeah, now. yeah, and the shaman is, is supposed to be able to stand in the center of these conflicting forces, and sometimes the shaman might be able to bring some kind of resolution or peace to them, but I have a feeling that more often than not, the the disaster doesn't get solved by the shaman, but the shaman knows how to move back and forth between the different forces that are, are colliding. Uh, the shaman is comfortable with ambivalence and with uh, ambiguity, and I think that's what we're seeing uh, in a lot of these situations. There's no one clear-cut answer or one solution. And, uh, in fact, if you come up with an easy answer, it's probably not the answer because it's too easy. There aren't easy answers. And the shaman is trained to be able to think mythically, think imaginatively, uh, to think in different ways than ordinary people do. And it's, it's, it's these chaotic situations that require that kind of thinking. You know, so many of the world's creation stories say that it all began in chaos, that the, the primordial condition was chaos. And then out of that came some kind of order. And you might say that human beings have been trying to establish order and stability, you know, for millions of years, but we never succeed. We we establish it for a little bit, and then lo and behold, there's a tornado and it wipes it out, or there's a hurricane, or the the army invades, and then we're back in chaos again. And I think the shaman today has to be able to move back and forth between that primordial condition of chaos and the kind of order or stability that most human beings are trying to establish and just see where he or she can fit in and ask the spirits that are involved in those situations what is needed and what can I do or what can anyone do and who should do it. Uh, You know, I think um, in some ways we have to be tricksters. You know, we always, uh, as shamans, I think we always admire the trickster figure, but we often don't think of ourselves as tricksters. But the trickster really is somebody who can handle chaos and often brings chaos. I mean, that's, that's the trickster's role. And the trickster knows how to, uh, is cunning and shifty and knows how to uh, survive the chaos. 
And I think you know, we need to be able to do that ourselves as, as shamans. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm, I'm thinking about um, in, the, in the lineage that I teach, we actually work with four archetypal or sort of mythic level teachers, but also that each of them has their trickster counterpart, uh-huh. you know, so yeah. that you can continue to function wisely in that type of situation even when everything goes sideways. So, because yes. every, you know, because in the beginning when the spirits were trying to help me understand this, they were saying, okay, all of the elements have a chaotic form that mm-hmm. is frightening. You know, like tornadoes in the air and tidal waves of the water and earthquakes of the earth and, you know, volcanoes or wildfires of the, you know, this is the, the, the these manifestations that are purely part of the natural system of things. When the elemental energies, you know, we love and we we call in to create order and stability go in their full chaotic manifestation form. And the, the, the point the spirits were trying to make is exactly the one you're making, I think, which is you have to be able to ride that wave. You yeah. have to find the eye of the storm that your job as the shamanic person is to work with spirit to to find that energy within that chaotic system because it's still a system. It's just mm-hmm. a chaotic system. <laughs> yeah, it's just a chaotic system, right? Yeah. Um, the, and I'm I'm wondering just to sort of use an example if this is this is a small version of what you're talking about. But I'm thinking of when I'm. Um, teaching with a group and everything goes into chaos in the group. You know, one person starts losing it and the next, you know, and then the whole circle just starts to fall right. apart. <laughs> and, you know, and so there comes a point where, where my job, cause everybody's now caught up in everybody's personal stuff. Right. And my job is to step out all the personal stuff and to understand sort of on the mythic level or even the archetypal level, what's trying to happen here mm-hmm. and to find those waves or those movements of energy in the chaos and to then begin to hold space or to hold on to and start to reframe the chaos towards, you know, the energy that's trying to happen. Like maybe the warrior's really trying to come in here and bust up this, maybe this group has been together for three years and they've got some real group collusion going on and it's holding everybody back. Mm-hmm. And so maybe this sort of archetypal warrior energy is coming in and starting a war so that everybody will start to break things up and move through. But if, if we don't take it out of the psychological, well, now everybody's arguing with each other about, you know, their own personal stuff. We're never going to see that. Mm-hmm. We're never going to see that this, this archetypal energy is bringing in chaos to create a change here and that my job is to be able to identify that and to hold not only the value of the chaos maker, right, but also the possibility of the potential of each of these people as they would move into their fuller potential should they be able to survive the chaos. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and so now all of a sudden I'm not I'm, – I'm holding the whole thing differently and it seems to me – what you're asking or talking about here today is how do we as shamans now start to apply that idea on a much bigger scale? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know when chaos erupts, it's a sign that something has got to die and something new is going to be reborn. And yeah. what's getting reborn is not going to be the same old system. And I think a lot of people, non-shamanic people or average ordinary people, 
when something goes uh, haywire, we'd like to get it back to normal, as they always say. Let's get back to normal. Yeah. It wants to be like it was before. And that's often not what's being called for. And so if you have, um, you know, a shamanic way of looking at things, you can say, look, we're not, we're not here to go back. We're here to go forward. We need to take a leap and right. uh, imagine something different or discover something different. Well, that's a really good point, and I think the other side of sort of that same coin is how do we go forward in a way that is not a new version of the old pattern in a bad yeah. way? Yeah. You know, like how do we not go forward in such a way that we really are actually setting ourselves up for another war? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you, know you know, how can we uh, – and, and I guess that's the thing that I see when the chaos makers enter you know, is that it is very hard for ordinary Americans, at least given their general American belief system, to see anything good in that, number one. Mm -hmm. But number two, to not just go into fear, which from my perspective shamanically means the unresolved ancestral issues just run crazy. Like all of a sudden a person has gone from all that work they've done in their yoga class or meditation or changing their diet or whatever that hard work is they've been doing to try to hold a higher consciousness. As soon as everything goes sideways and they go into fear, all those old ancestral stories that are unresolved, not the helping spirit ancestors, but all that unresolved crap in the family line just start sliding in and the next thing you know, they are you know, right back in the old, old patterns. It works so hard to change. And I feel like that's part of the job as shamans as well is to help people hold the faith mm-hmm. in, in their own good work, their own good hearts, their own pot holding hope, their own, you know, the yeah. hope, the possibility that we could manifest, well, for example, a new country. Mm-hmm. Politically. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, but what you're talking about is uh, the, the chaos disrupting someone on their personal psychological level. But um, and that you know what you're saying is true in terms of uh, working with someone like that. But and again, that would be a kind of healing with the person. But how do we uh, apply all that to a situation like you know the war in Afghanistan or the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico or a tsunami or the, the crisis in Haiti? Um, yeah, and who and who are the shamans there we could talk to? Yeah, <laughs> and would anyone listen if we called? You know? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It, it, you know, we hope that there are shamans and that they are doing that kind of work. But I think we can also, uh, you know, journey to those places and ask the spirits of the place there, both the land and the people, the animals, all the beings that are uh, whose lives have been disrupted. Uh, what is it that they need and what is it that we can do? Yeah. Sometimes just being present is a way of holding that chaos at, at bay or, or holding holding the center you know, just being present, you're participating in the situation. And if you come in with the, a presence of, of hope or uh, optimism uh, or beauty, I think you're, you're, sl- you're slowly, you know, tilting the balance a little bit toward a little bit more order and less chaos. Well, I think that there's a piece in that that people don't realize is how often the invisible forces are responding to us Un, mm-hmm. un, 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 and we, the, the, the human factor is unintentional and unintentionally contributing 
to the chaos. Mm -hmm. And so if someone can go in and just hold space and and speak to the invisible forces and go, no, actually, we didn't really mean to do that. (laughs) We didn't mean to tell you at all. They go, oh, okay. We don't need it. You know, that that there is – there is so much that can come out of an active working relationship with the invisible energies of a place. And we as humans don't realize how often we're stirring the chaos just by how we're being unconscious about the fact that whether we know it or not, we are in relationship with these energies. Mm-hmm. And that so to just so people underestimate what you've just said, which is the power of being in going in holding space, communicating with the spirits of a place or an event or whatever, and starting to bring some clarity about what those crazy humans mean. You know, what are those crazy humans doing? Because most of them aren't really conscious about what they're doing relative to the invisible forces. Right, right. And I think if we go into places, either physically or uh, just spiritually on, on journeying, we can, uh, in a sense, hold hold the suffering, too, or to take on some of the suffering. You know, the the shaman, I think, has to be a kind of suffering servant or a avalokitesvara kind of being who has compassion for uh, the suffering in the world and to actually, you know, feel it or carry it and you know, try to transmute it in whatever ways you know how to do that. And that also is a way of tending uh, the situation. You're not working so much with a particular individual, but you're just saying, look, the, this, this place, this, this, this land, the, this city is, is filled with chaos and suffering. And I'm coming in here just to take some of it on myself and move it on, transmute it, send it somewhere else. Well, we have a, a, almost an endless power, um, capacity, I don't know what the right word is, for transformation if we don't get attached to things. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're incredible manifestors and transformers. It's, and, and, and theoretically, as shamanic practitioners, we should, we should understand that and be able to work intentionally with it. Yeah. Um, without, and, and, and to understand that as you're describing it as in an <sighs> impersonal role and a, you're engaged but not taking it personally in a sense. That, that's right. And it's a hard thing to do to stay – detached from the outcome and just say that I'm here to help whatever is emerging, whatever needs help, whatever is trying to come alive or come into being. I'm here to help that. And it's it's really hard not to take sides because obviously we're, you know, we are compassionate and we hope people will get well and, um, you know, that the land will be healed. But that end result is not a static uh, situation. It's not going to be uh, a condition that persists. It's, it's, it, too, is going to be transforming. And so I think as you know, as shamans who are shapeshifters and who can, whose consciousness can leap around in the different uh, realms, we ought to be good at being able to stay un, unattached and just yeah. say, I'm here to be with the energy and with the movement, with the new life that is being born. Uh, without my own personal hopes for it or my own personal outcome uh, being paramount. Right. You know, my my idea, which comes largely from human beings and what makes us feel comfortable and ordered of what this should look like or how this should go yeah. versus being there to serve the process that's – I mean, I always think about it, about it as how do I serve these energies coming into alignment with their – 
highest nature, yeah. whatever that is. And and, yeah. and I don't presume to have any idea what that actually is. No. It, uh, an analogy might be when you're uh, sitting with someone who's dying. I mean, your your personal feelings for the person, if it's someone you love, or that you hope the person doesn't die. But you know you can't prevent that. And you know you can't you know heal the person out of their dying. And they've got to do it on their own, and yet you're there to tend them and to be part of it in whatever way you can. And whether the outcome is going to be uh, life or death, you really have to kind of be willing to do what needs to be done, whether it fits your desire or not. It's, well, it's hard this, to do. Yeah, well, and this is a piece, I think, that at least in as I researched the encyclopedia, that I saw in traditional trainings that I that I don't really see in what people are doing in at least here in America is that piece of how do we find this way to be alive emotionally I mean we there is an aspect of being the shaman where we need the information coming from our heart about through our feelings about what's going on to in essence to just feel what alignment even would feel like here mm-hmm. um but we need to be able to feel our feelings without personal stories and personal attachments and personal judgments or values on that. And that is a very challenging place to create. And I feel that it's essential for the shamanic practitioner. I think it's frankly essential for a lot of different kinds of practitioners. But, but that ability – because one of the things I see people doing to deal with what you're talking about is they simply become aloof – and detach mm-hmm. emotionally. That doesn't mm-hmm. work. In the kinds no. of situations you're talking about, that won't work. No. It may work with people and their psychology, maybe. It won't work in what you're talking about where we have to get in there and be, let our hearts be engaged. Exactly. And at, and at the same time, be engaged with both sides of the, of the situation, the opposing forces that are colliding. Uh, you know, if, if one force is destructive and the other force is uh, constructive, we're somewhere in the middle there. And mm-hmm. even though our hearts and our own feelings might be with one side or the other, I, I think what we're trying to do is to hold that center and, you know, keep the center from verging on the chaos in whatever way needs to be done. And we may not have the uh, enough insight, humanly speaking, to know what needs to be done. But shamanically speaking, I think we might be able to do something. Because if we if we sort of shift into mythic thinking, you know, I think that the shaman lives in a mythic realm more than ordinary people do. For example, uh, we're at war, okay. But there's also gods of war. There always have been. And as Ed Tick says, there probably always will be. So how does the shaman engage with the gods of war? Or if a storm is coming, a tornado or hurricane, they're also the gods of storm. And older cultures have known these spirits and have honored them and, and worked with them. And I think what we're being called to do in the, in the present age as shamanic practitioners is to work with those same spirits and those same forces. You know, they're life forces. They're part of the universe. And as shamans, we should know them and be able to meet them and uh, and work with them. 
as much well, as working with the you know the humans and in the physical world. You know, I just thought of something. I wish I actually knew all the details of this story better. Um, but um, John Lennon's first son, uh, Julian, I think, one mm-hmm. of the things that he's used his money to do is to help, I believe, they're Australian Aboriginals, maybe New Zealand, but anyway, uh, Aboriginal peoples on one of those two areas to own land because what had happened is those people who had colonized that land had had kept the – Aboriginal people from being able to get to the coastline in this particular place because regularly the the um, indigenous people would go to this place to call out to the white dolphins or white whales or something like that and and completed this this relationship this sort of annual relationship with these um, animals that were physical animals but Part of the value for everybody in doing that is somehow in the doing of that, it was tied into working with the the spirits of the weather. Yeah. Like like you were saying, the you know, the gods of the storms. Yeah. And and that because and as as the as the indigenous people were kept from being able to go to be part of their to perform their role in this big complex relationship between the people and the land and the sea and the animals in the sea and these um, you know, the spirits of the weather and everything, this is a whole system that they'd worked out, that the humans weren't able to do their part. And over mm-hmm. time, the land suffered, the weather. I mean, the land became, you couldn't grow anything. I mean, it, it affected everything because that whole system broke down. So anyway, the, the, the long story short is he went in and bought the land and gave it back to the people. Yeah. And they, they, you know, went to the side of the cliff, they did the calling, the animals emerged, blah, 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 and the weather began to right itself as the time, you know, as the, in the time that followed. And I think there's such a lack of understanding um, of, even in the shamanic peoples, of, of how complex, beautiful, elegant, but complex these interrelated dynamics are and it's not just about you know talking to the the gods of the storm to keep them away for the soccer game (laughs) right right no it's not just that (laughs) you know it's really about understanding is the height of chaos we're experiencing in our political and our natural environmental lives responding to us Mm -hmm. And, and how could we begin to participate in these relationships between ordinary and non-ordinary reality in a way that could begin to create a kind of balance and and harmony which may not be exactly what we think we want but right again and the balance the balance is always going to be teetering mm-hmm. uh, too you know I, I really when we talk about being in balance or balancing the situation I don't think we're talking about creating some static uh, controlled situation uh, Life is not is not that way. Life is always uh, being disrupted, and things are always like flying out of control. And I, that's one of the hardest things that I think it is for us to to um, to to realize and and to accept that. And I get and that gets me back to the tending rather than healing uh, idea because tending is ongoing. I mean, you're always tending your garden. It never stops. There's always mm-hmm. something to do. And it's not the uh, kind of uh, dream that you're going to get this thing set up and then there's nothing more to do. It's stable, it's healthy, it's solid. 
uh, it's going to last forever. It's not. The world constantly needs tending. And I don't know, even just as you watch, you know, war, uh, you know, the war in Afghanistan, we've been in there for nine, nine years now. And it keeps changing. You know, even the generals don't know what exactly to do. And they keep, you know, trying different things. And I certainly have no idea what's going on in Afghanistan either. But it's, as I watch it or listen to it on the news, it's a constantly changing situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what is the shaman supposed to do in this kind of, yeah. you know, in terms of, of war? I don't know. But I think that yeah. what we can do is to go into it with the intention of, Tending what needs tending there, and asking the spirits, you know, what what is it we should be doing? Is it prayer? Is it presence? Is it dance, song, ritual, journeying, or or what? When you um, worked this year with um, in your men's retreat around war and and the shaman's role in that, did did you did you get some sense of the answer to that question? You know, what is our role relative to war? Yeah, well, just to give you a little background or people that are listening, uh, the men's group has been meeting uh, for six or seven years now. And this year we went down to a spot on the, the Hudson River here in New York, right across from West Point, the military academy. And we did that intentionally to uh, engage with the spirits of, of, of war, of peace, of warriorhood, of violence, uh, just to, to to ask the spirits of the land who have seen all this come and go over the years uh, what we could do. And so we spent an afternoon pretty much on our own listening to the spirits of the land talk to us from this area around West Point. And then we went back to the park where we were spending the, the weekend, and we put together two rituals. We divided the men up into a group that would do a ritual for peace and one that would do a ritual for war. And then they journeyed on this as a group and put together two rituals, which we then did that evening. And, you know, I I can't say obviously, I I mean, I don't know what kind of results this has in the world of ordinary reality, but I think in the world of non-ordinary reality, we had, you know, 25, 30 men who had spent a weekend intimately with these these forces, these life forces that can collide and erupt in war. And we left that weekend, I think, coming back into our own homes and into our own ordinary lives with a, a deeper understanding of what's going on mythically as well as what's going on uh, physically or literally in the, in the literal world. So I... What was your question, Christina? Well, <laughs> you were just you—you you would come up on you know talking about um, you were talking about how Afghanistan, as an example, is a situation yeah. that's always right. changing, and so that what we're really looking at doing is how do we tend the balance of things versus how yeah. do we fix it or heal it? Right. And well, I, and then, I think what I think one of the things to go back to your example of the um, the people in Australia trying to get to the sea to talk to the dolphins. It's it's that ritual act of of doing that that is going to shift things in some way, and I think that the twenty five of us who met that weekend uh, to to be with the spirits of the land and the river and and the the, the military academy is going to shift things. It, it will shift things in some way. We may not see the results. You know, there's not a lot of instant gratification 
when you do shamanic tending. You do shamanic healing, and sometimes you can see the results right away, and the client says, oh, thank you, this has changed my life immensely. But I don't think you're going to get that kind of gratification when you uh, work with these much larger global uh, problems like war and, and natural disasters and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I'm not sure I'm not sure how aware people are because there's all this sort of mythology, which is true that you know shamans tended to not work with each other, and in certain cultures that's very very true. But in right. a lot of cultures, especially North America, when there was an important decision that was going to affect a lot of people. Shamans did come together and did mm-hmm. work together, journey together to come up with a collective answer to what tending – I mean tending isn't really a new idea I think that, that, that it's really us maybe maturing into our roles as shamans and understanding this has always been a part of I think being it a has. shaman for the people. Yeah. Right. It, it and, has. I mean if, if – uh... If anthropologists are right when they look back at these very early cultures, it seems like the shaman, the role of the shaman was to maintain the security and the the well-being of the tribe rather than just doing individual healing on people. Mm-hmm. That there was a responsibility on the shaman to be in touch with the spirits of, of the animals and the land and the weather and the gods to keep keep the the whole community alive and of course their communities weren't that big they were small you know maybe a couple hundred people but who is our community today i don't i don't know that's one of the mm-hmm. issues in the kernel in the current journal of, of shamanic practice that we're trying to uh, explore what is what is a shamanic community i don't know and who and who are the people we're supposed to be uh, working for but i think it's definitely an old old shamanic uh, responsibility to tend, and tending is an ongoing process, and if there's no end to it, you just keep rolling with the punches and, and leaping mm-hmm. from one crisis to another. Well, and and what you know, if 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 we are the shamans of our time, you know, those of us practicing now are, and our time, that part of what is the nature of the time we live in is that people are coming to see. The community as humanity. Yeah. Which is really big. (laughs) I know. And we're not real. Yeah, we don't function that well at at that level with community. And so this, 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 um, this makes the same old questions humans, I think, have always had to ask. It take, it brings it to another dimension. No, you know, no pun intended is that what does it mean if we are to begin to function as shamans, at least some of us, where we see, we truly do see our community as humanity. Yes, and, that's and, right. You know, and now what? <laughs> you know, yeah. How do we deal with that? And how yeah. many of us need to come together who see our community as humanity to be able to function then in that way? Because certainly no one person can do that. No, and we saw in, at the conference last summer in Santa Cruz the power of getting a group of shamans together working. Um, equally with each other. We had no leader or teacher, but we had uh, groups. And we worked on specific sites in Santa Cruz County that had suffered trauma and disasters over the years. And the power of bringing people together, shamanic people together, to work together as a community was really evident 
and uh, I mean, I can't even put it into words. You, you had to have been there, but you just, we all knew at the end of the week, the weekend of the conference that what we had done was something that none of us could have done by ourselves. I mean, it was the support and the, and the, the and not just human support, but the support of our spirits that we brought with us to help us do that kind of tending in those uh, traumatized areas of the Santa Cruz County. So we're hoping, you know, as the next year evolves and we meet again as a conference that we can continue this idea of, we're calling it shamanism without borders, where we bring people together, uh, shamanic people, to work together as a community on specific kinds of uh, problems and traumas. So I think that... um... I think that, that we've explored this idea pretty well. Let's go a little deeper into it because in as we were preparing for the show, you you talked to me about, you know, the role of certain energies in in these times as if if we're if we're meant to stand here in the place of the concurrence of opposites. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't always mean transcending these opposites or even reconciling them. So what what is the role for example of the ominous Rather than the evil or malevolent. Or... Well, I like the I like the word ominous a lot because um, it, it it speaks to our fears and our sense of vulnerability, and it also speaks to our our sense that we are not in control. That there's there are, there are forces out there in the universe, in our world, that can harm us and can threaten us and can kill us. And we're all, those forces are always there. It's not that, oh, the hurricane just came last night. The forces of the hurricane are all, always, you know, woven through the world that we live in. And the, the ominous, it's, you know, in the Celtic tradition, there's a female spirit called the Kalyuk, who is basically the death mother or the, the suffering mother, the mother that can, like Baba Yaga in the Russian tradition, uh, she just as soon chop your head off and then eat you than help you. And the the Kalyuk is this kind of a frightening, usually older woman that reminds us of our mortality and reminds us of the fact that we're not all powerful. And she's she's a frightening figure to watch. But what I think she's always saying to us in so many words is that we need another kind of thinking. There are zones and regions where ordinary thinking doesn't work. And you're only going to start thinking that way when you feel scared, when you're frightened, uh, when you encounter the ominous or when you encounter the Kalyuk. Uh, and the trickster can do the same thing, as, in a sense, too. So in my own practice of, of shamanism over the last 10 years or so, I've been spending a lot of time getting to know the Kalyuk and uh, you know, asking her to teach me how to live in, in these times, in these Ambiguous times that don't have really easy, clear-cut answers. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think that um, the, these situations always makes me think of the the Taoism that I always see, sort of at the real heart of the real work in shamanism, which is yeah. you know until we tap into that vulnerability, for example, as you said, the vulnerability and the fear and somehow recognizing that, you know, oh my God, I could really die here. Not just, mm-hmm. you know, psychological ego death. This is real death. So the end, it. Right. It, it, until we get to that place sometimes, we don't 
tip over into that other kind of thinking. No. And, you know, traditional shamans, indigenous shamans, have almost always said that shamanism is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I know what you were talking earlier about the market-based or market-driven shamanism mm-hmm. that was necessary to bring it back into the world. Mm-hmm. But I know an awful lot of uh, people in that shamanic world will tell you, oh, it's not dangerous. There's nothing to be worried about. Exactly. Or and yet indigenous shamans have always said it's dangerous. So what did they mean by that? Is you know what 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 were they getting at? And I think they were getting at this fact that the shaman is trying to partner up or be present to these forces that we find ominous and threatening and and understand them. And if, if there's ways to buy them off, you know, or to plead with them to say, look at spare us this this mm-hmm. time. And do that if that mm-hmm. if that's necessary. Yeah, but that I mean, there it's, is not, that, it's, it's a little more serious than saying you know don't rain on my soccer game. Right, <laughs> as right. You said earlier, we're, we're talking about more really serious kinds of situations. Well, and I think to go to back back to what you were just saying, if we as contemporary shamans are going to step into this role that you're talking about, how do we tend? How how do we do answer these obvious questions in the suffering of our time without expecting instant gratification or even confirmation that anything we've done has been effective at all. Can we be that kind of person? And and I think in doing that, we will become the people that begin to understand that shamanism is actually mm-hmm. dangerous. Right. And, and I, we have to be, we, to get back to your other question, right yeah. there, we have to become those people. You know, Absolutely. not can we, but I think we really have to. And if we can't, you know, if we don't, then I don't think there's going to be a lot of change made by our, our shamanic activities. I think our shamanic activities have to come out of people who are really willing to face up to death and and suffering, and even defeat, um, in order to make a stand uh, to you know to, to to be there where those life forces collide and cause suffering. Yeah. Uh, there is um, to be able to be at that that place of defeat or uh, or of loss, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and emptiness, and think, you know, here I do. What does it mean to start again? Yeah. What What do we rebuild on? Um, what does our defeat in this moment mean? Do we abandon our values? Do we shift our values? Do we stand strong on our values and how do we build again in this time and how do we build in a way that will be good for our children's children's children? Right. And yeah. I think only the spirits can tell us how to do that. And, I, and that's, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm arguing so strongly these days <laughs> over the last few years to, to get to know the forces that you fear, whether you call them the Kalyak or Baba Yaga or the trickster or just uh, Mr. Death, the spirit of death. I, I think we need to get to know those those spirits because I think only they are going to be able to teach us what we need to do to to build, you know, the next stage to move into the next uh, level of consciousness and evolution. You know, when I went around doing my humble little book tour with my encyclopedia, that's really all I said again and again and again is. You know, in, indigenous shamanic people didn't have the answers. They had a way for humans to get answers. Right. And we need to return 
to that way of getting answers because the answers I'm seeing from the people that are making decisions around me that, that, that grossly affect my life are not good enough. Quality decisions. It's not that they're mm-hmm. right or wrong. It's mm-hmm. their poor quality. And they're mm-hmm. poor quality because humans are trying to make them all by themselves, and that's not the system. Yeah. This, you know, the system is to be in a true, open, working relationship with spirit, not, not a pre-programmed religious version, but, a, a, but right. an active, co-creative, maybe you're going to come up with new answers that piss all the people off kind of mm-hmm. relationship yeah. with spirit. But that, that's an answer that can move the people forward with all the other energies they're in relationship with. And no, right now it doesn't make sense. We need to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Those kind and, of answers. <laughs> and maybe the spirits are going to say to us, you're not ready for the answers yet, so you're going to have to live with the questions for a little yeah. longer. And then we need to learn how to live with the questions. Yeah. And that puts us right back into the state of ambiguousness and ambiguity and uh, ambivalence. You know, we're not, we don't like living with the questions. We want to have the answers. We want the answers to be solid and stable. And maybe the spirits are going to say to us, hey, you're not ready yet for the answers for this. So just continue to live with the questions and keep asking and exploring those questions. And maybe someday you'll be ready to to handle the answers. (laughs) Right. And we're kind of back to that Taoistic core in things of, you know, to to be able to sit in that uncertainty. Yeah. you know, until, you know, that's that whole beauty of the, the dot of the yin and the yang and the dot of the yang and the yin, you know, to go deeply enough into the uncertainty that you find yourself in that other place where mm-hmm. now, but we have to be willing to sit in it, sometimes for mm-hmm. a really long time. Yeah, <laughs> and and to sit in it even without words, because, yeah. you know, the, the Tao begins by saying you can't name the Tao. Yeah. And once you start putting labels and names on things, you've you've... You've, you've tried to control them and you've tried to limit them. And uh, I think the real message there is that the, the, the words and the labels are not going to work. So you need to be silent and yeah. just live with the mystery that's there. And then I think that takes us back to another thing that you brought up again and again is we have to be open in that place to feeling. Yes. We can't. We have to be in it, literally, truly engaged in it, feeling what is there to be felt, and not shut down to those, you know, those icky bits. We don't want to, you know, be part. <laughs> I know, and I'm, I'm always uh, promoting poetry in in shamanism that pe- that we need to be poets. If we're going to be shamans, we should be poets because what we see on our journeys, we can't put into literal prose. We can't really speak about it in ordinary words. We need to put it into some words of power, or we need to have the images and uh, the visions uh, and, uh, and words for those images and visions. And the only way you can really bring that into this reality is, is through poetry. And I think that brings us again back to the role of the imagination and, and the mythic consciousness that the shaman lives in, because our, our imaginations should be richer and and more various than people who don't practice shamanism or something similar. And we should have visions in a, of, a, of, a, of the other worlds. And how are we going to bring those visions and those images back, and how are we going to speak about them? Ordinary words I don't think are going to work. Ordinary labels, and like you're saying about being open. We have to have an open heart, open mind, open soul uh, to what we're going to learn. And 
open to the words and the ways that we're going to sing about them and and speak about them or, or dance them, whatever. And then and then asking the people to allow themselves to be moved by them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to be moved in the heart by them into action uh, or reaction or whatever it is they're, they're meant to be moved. But but to be moved versus moving into the analytical headspace with them. Mm-hmm. To be, just let them be in the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, let, yeah. it, let them do what they do in the heart. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, though. I'm listening. But I'm also thinking about what you were saying about the, um, you know, you're not ready for the answers. Because I think an aspect of being called to be a shaman is just this insatiable curiosity. Mm-hmm. So the very act yes. of the spirit world saying, you're not ready for the answer, if your shamanic person is going to trigger you to now <laughs> do whatever it takes <laughs> to become the person who's ready for that answer. Because it's just this. Hello? Play. Are we still here? Uh, Hello, Christina? Okay, I'm losing you. Uh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Are you there? Uh, yeah. Hello? Uh-oh. Hello. Well, Tom, I guess you're going to have to finish the show without me. <laughs> okay. How much more time do we have? <laughs> oh, good. You can hear me. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah um, okay. I can hear you now. <laughs> okay. So what, okay. I was, what I was just wondering, though, just at the very end here, is if the shaman, you know, isn't also that person who is willing, once we've been told, you know, y'all aren't ready for the answer yet, to say, okay, you know, helping spirits. What, what needs to happen for me mm-hmm. to be ready? Mm-hmm. And is willing then to go through the ordeals. I mean, there's always these great stories of ordeals yes. that shamans go through to be, to be ready for the answer. Right. And, we need to continually be initiated by yeah. the Spirit, you know, into deeper understandings of what life and death is about. And if they, if they say to us, hey, you're not ready yet, I mean, I, obviously that's going to be disappointing, <laughs> But I think it's also exciting to think that, well, that means I'm, I've got more to learn. I've got more to be initiated into and, and more to discover, more adventures, you know, lie ahead. Hello? Are we okay? So... I think what I'm going to do is to close the show now um, and just thank Tom deeply for joining us here today. Um, And remember that Tom's work and his own writings about these things we've been talking about can be found at riverdrum.com. Um, you can find about, find out about his upcoming classes and um, his schedule uh, um, at that website. You can find out about mine at lastmaskcenter.org and you can find out about the Society of Shamanic Practitioners and their Shamans Without Border conference coming up next year at shamansociety.org. So we give thanks to the ancestors, uh, 
for the earth and the sky for joining us here today, for holding us well, and we give thanks to the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone, and thanks to Tom for joining us here today. Thank you, Christina.